Welcome to Talking Facts, what you need to know about family, food, finance, and fitness. Hosted by the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program, our educators share research knowledge with individuals, families, and communities to improve quality of life. Hello, and welcome to Talking Facts. This is your host, Dr. Jennifer Hunter, Assistant Director for Family Consumer Sciences Extension at the University of Kentucky. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Amy Kostelik, our Extension Specialist for Adult Development and Aging, and Dr. Alex Ellswick, our Extension Specialist for Substance Use Prevention and Recovery. Welcome, Amy and Alex. Hi, thanks for having us. Good morning. Glad to be here. All right, so today the the theme of our podcast is we are calling it Operation Kentucky Sunshine. But I love I love today's topic. And you know, I recently learned that there are more than 1,500 national days or observances. So that's something like National Donut Day, right? And I also learned that one of those days, always on July 11th, is National Cheer Up the Lonely Day. And as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, this national observance seems especially significant this year. Definitely, Jennifer. The effect of COVID-19 on people who feel lonely really deserves to be center stage. Loneliness is something that affects people of all ages, um, and people can feel lonely anytime, anywhere. And loneliness, just so that we're all clear on, on what exactly that means, it's this personal feeling or this subjective feeling that causes this personal sense of suffering from being or feeling disconnected from other people. So it's a little bit different than what social isolation is. Right now, we're hearing so much about social isolation, and that, simply put, is just not being around other people or having close connections, where, again, loneliness is this this sense of suffering from being disconnected. So as a result, you can really be alone and not feel lonely. But you I can was also just getting feel- ready to ask that question. Do you have to be alone to feel lonely? <laughs> right. And there are a lot of stories out there right now of people who are around people, but they're suffering from feeling lonely. And a lot of that, again, um, not just due to the pandemic, but the pandemic has exasperated that where you're just so out of routine and, and out of your you know norm that some people are really struggling with, with that disconnection from what life might usually be like. I, I think Amy brings up a great point, which is that even prior to the pandemic, we were existing in a pretty lonely society for, for a variety of reasons. Um, one being sort of the natural life cycle has changed now. People like me millennials, young people are getting married at a later age, living single for longer, which is part of the reason we have such a high rate of loneliness among millennials. And I think social media too, which ironically was designed to connect us, is sort of driving us apart and forming these artificial social connections. So you had sort of an already pretty lonely society and then uh, a public health pandemic and and physical distancing requirements. And as a quick example uh, of, of sort of the way that people are dealing with this, I have a friend who is the primary caregiver for his grandmother who is in a long-term care facility, and he's not been able to see her for the last three and a half months. And the doctors have told him that she's nearing the end of her life. And so he's really having to grieve that he's not getting to um, have these experiences with his grandmother at the end. And even though he lives with a partner and isn't alone physically, as, as Amy suggested, I think he may feel lonely by virtue of not being able to connect with the people he loves. And so there are a lot of consequences that people are going to experience as a result of experiencing this kind of loneliness. And some of this we're already seeing coming out in, in the form of more overdoses, more overdose deaths, 
more alcohol-related deaths, more suicides, and all of these things are attributable, at least in part, to uh, limiting our human interaction. And you bring up a good point too, Alex, with older adults, and certainly the news and, and media has highlighted the way in which their susceptibility to COVID-19 has isolated them today more than ever before. There is a study out of the University of Chicago that found the pandemic has made about a third of adults 70 and older lonelier than usual. But going back to the millennials of what you said too, there are reports that the millennials are actually the um, reporting to have the most feelings of loneliness than any of our age groups right now. And that was even before COVID-19. So I think we also want to make sure people recognize that loneliness has been a problem or a challenge for our society, even before this pandemic occurred. I do think too, just because I work with older adults and that's been my field of study for quite some time. I do think that the physical and social separation that has happened for older adults and their family members, like Alex was just saying with his story of his friend, but especially those living in long-term care facilities, you know, dying by yourself or not having access to your family or your, um, you know, your, your close friends. I think that's one of the most heartbreaking aspects of this pandemic in fact, there was, I think this is so interesting, there was a, an article in the Pioneer Press, which is out of St. Paul, Minnesota, and that they were talking about in this article that families are literally watching their loved ones die of loneliness, not other things. I mean, the heartbreak of just being socially isolated and separated from their loved ones. And they even listed, there were three cases in the state of Minnesota where social isolation was listed as a cause of death. And that's really something to remark on because that is not a recognized cause of death in the vital statistics manual. But the state is recognizing the effect, the negative effect of loneliness on these folks who are, who are living in isolation more than ever before. There's even a, uh, I can go on and on about this, um, but I want to say one more thing. There is a geriatrician, his name is William Thomas, and he's been instrumental on looking at ways to make institutional care better for people who are living in them. And so he always said that the three plagues of long-term care included boredom, helplessness, and loneliness. And so I think that this national day or that our Operation Kentucky Sunshine is really important. And that's what Dr. Thomas would say too. We've got to find ways to be able to help people combat that so that we can add quality of life for these folks. That's well said. It, it really is a problem. And I think arguably those three plagues that Dr. Thomas talks about could be applied to all of us at this time. Uh, the reality is that human beings are made to be social. There's some really interesting research uh, because I, I do my work focuses on substance use that um, social interactions actually activate the same parts of the brain that drugs and alcohol do. So you sort of get a high, you get a flood of um, neurochemicals that makes you feel comfortable and calm and happy and healthy. And it's a necessary part of uh, a steady, healthy diet for our brains to have social connection. And it really, it's widely available social connection. It's kind of like the best organic medicine we have available to us, but interacting with loved ones through windows or um, through computer screens is not the same as physical touch, as being able to hug, hug someone you care about and experience the release of oxytocin you get from hugging someone and pulling them close. And, uh, and that's part of the reason why we're so concerned as we're, our vulnerable populations are at risk. We don't want to introduce the virus into those settings, but uh, we're just as concerned for the effects of their loneliness. As I'm listening to you all talk, I can certainly think of friends that, you know, are similar examples to, to how you share of parents or close family members that are in long-term care facilities and, and how they're struggling um, with 
with this topic. And I'm certain many of our listeners can relate to that too. But then also on the other end of the spectrum, I just think about how all of us have had such a significant change in our lives that to me, work is so much more lonely than what it has been before. Because even though, and even as we're recording this right now, and and I can see Amy and Alex, it's still very different than how we might've recorded six months ago when we were actual, actual face-to-face. And so I think just folks in general are really, really experiencing loneliness across the board. And we know that, and you know, until there's a vaccine, that people are going to remain vulnerable. And so when we think about what are the costs of social isolations, given the requirements to be physically distant, to be able to kind of keep the virus at bay, what do we think of as the costs of, of that social isolation? Well, research definitely um, demonstrates that people who have persistent feelings of social isolation and loneliness are going to have higher risks of developing mental and physical conditions. And those are going to be things like heart disease and blood, high blood pressure, compromised immune systems, anxiety, even dementia, depression, as we've talked about, and even premature death. But it does other things too. I mean, loneliness can even prevent, or I'm sorry, can even put enough stress on you that you're at greater risk for contacting COVID-19. So like you said, until we have a vaccine, you know, we have vulnerable populations anyway. We've got older adults and we've got, you know, people with underlying chronic conditions. But once your immune system is stressed, a lot of people are vulnerable. I mean, I've got nieces and nephews who are living in Florida right now who have friends right now who have just been diagnosed with COVID-19. And again, there's a big connection between mental health and the immune system. But as Alex said, loneliness decreases your risk of recovery from illness. It can increase the risk for substance abuse and harm. Um, The health consequences of loneliness can also be seen in changes of just regular routine and self-care. That's kind of like what you were talking about, Jennifer, with work. We certainly know that a lack of routine and being cut off from activity or being cut off from people that you are typically around or seeing or talking to can negatively affect sense of purpose. And also there, we have to recognize too that people have literally gone without interpersonal interaction. And and that's part of what Alex said, that's hugging and touching for months on end right now, some people. So because some of that daily interaction has disappeared, I think too, we've got to be concerned that people have been less likely to talk about things that may be important or concerning or stressing to them as well. So there really are a lot of, you know, risks that can occur with feeling lonely. So recognizing that there is a significant negative impact, what can we do to to help? What can we do to help prevent that negative impact to improve mental health and physical health related to loneliness? Alex and I are going to come up, uh, come at this in a couple of different directions. So I'll start by just saying, I'll, I'll take over the creative side. So I think right now I'm going to talk about and highlight just a few of the things that you're seeing on the news and in the media right now. And that's ways in which we can be creative, you know, be creative to find ways to promote and to continue social connections. And again, I say continue because Jennifer, you made a good point that we don't have a vaccine yet. And so people, especially people who are at risk of COVID-19, are going to have to continue to be really careful of exposing themselves. You know, they might not be able to be at these groups of 50 or more people starting on Monday when we start phase three of um, the rollout in our state, for example. So we're going to have to continue with the video conferencing and the video chats and the regular scheduled phone calls and different ways that we can use social media to show pictures and, and say, this is what we're doing. 
I think that sporadic reminders of love and care and concern are really important. So that just might be a a text or a photo or a message out of the blue, a letter in the mail even that just says, hey, I'm thinking about you. I love you. Or I I just wanted you to know this, this, whatever happened, reminded me of you today. I mean, I think those are really ways that can make people feel, feel good. Um, but other things too that, you know, it's not just spreading the joy. It's also about taking care of yourself. So it's finding ways to stay engaged. It's finding ways to keep learning, to keep your mind active. Um, you know, there's all these home-based activities that we're going to have to continue to do. And then there's, of course, all the self-care too. So it's eating healthy and getting enough sleep and and just keeping yourself in a, in a good place as much as you can. So Amy, listening to you talk, and, and you and Alex both know this because you all know my family, but our little girl is a very social child. And so even though, you, you know, um, her dad and I and her brother are, have been with her more than we probably we have her entire life over the last several months, you can tell that she misses, you know, her friends and misses going to school and misses, you know, soccer and, and dance and, and all those things in life. And you can also tell that she feels a little bit lonely um, because of it, but she's an extremely creative child. And so some of the things that you just listed off are things that I can really tell make a huge difference to her. Um, you know, she's drawn pictures and mailed them to the grandparents. She um, painted pictures for her teachers that, you know, we had to go drop off on their porch. Things that just have helped her, I think, still feel connected to those that that she loves. And again, she has such a creative spirit that you can tell that that doing those type things really and truly feeds it. Yeah. Jennifer, you mentioned that you can sort of sense in your daughter the desire for more social interaction. It kind of reminds me of when I go on vacation and I eat really bad food for a week. And the day that I come back, my body just craves something healthy. It's like, please, for, the, for goodness sake, give us something nutritious. Uh-huh. I think our brain does the same. When we're isolated for so long, our brain knows what I need and it's crying out for connection. And if we can't get that through other human beings, we have to look for other strategies. And my favorite place to look uh, for some time now has been uh, Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky, who the world considers the foremost expert on happiness. So she wrote this book that's really cool called The How of Happiness that compiles all of the, the research on happiness. And she essentially gives you a guide to make yourself happier. Who wouldn't want to make use of that? Um, exactly. And, and she gives some some great strategies, some that, uh, that, that Amy have already mentioned, but I'm partial to those that arise from mental health and substance use recovery. Those who have sort of the worst mental health profiles, the strategies that they use to cope are probably the most beneficial, the most useful. So I'm just gonna plug a couple of these because in our Sizzling Summer series, we're gonna dive much more deeply into some of these strategies. But for instance, mindfulness has a host of positive side effects. You know, when you see one of those pharmaceutical commercials for blood pressure medication, and it has this ridiculous list of negative side effects, well, mindfulness meditation is kind of like the opposite of that. It has this ridiculously long list of positive benefits, even for as little as 15 minutes of, of mindfulness meditation a day. So for instance, just, just a little bit of meditation leads to less electrical activity in your amygdala, and your amygdala is your fear center. So quite literally, mindfulness meditation makes us less fearful. So people who experience anxiety and social interactions Um, It's the perfect way to make you feel more calm and comfortable. It also lowers cortisol levels and cortisol has been called the enemy of happiness because cortisol is your fight or flight response. It's, It's your stress hormone. And then lastly, just in the same way that lifting weights builds muscle fibers in your arms and legs, 
meditation actually builds gray matter in the, the parts of your brain associated with coping. So it actually makes you stronger and makes you more resilient. So that's one example of one strategy. We're going to cover many more approaches as a part of the summer sizzling summer series. But it's important to know that Sonia Lubomirsky, Dr. Lubomirsky would say 40% of our happiness is within our control. 40% of our happiness is a result of the intentional activity in which we engage every day. And to me, that's optimistic because it means I can exercise, I can meditate, I can write a letter, I can engage in acts of kindness, I can do all sorts of things to impact my own happiness. And I will say, Alex, as we're talking about the the how of happiness, that that's actually a book that we integrated into one of our classes on family resource management, which you often think about that as how do you manage your money or, you know, what's the car buying process or the home buying process. But several semesters ago, we, as we were visiting with our college students and talking to them and kind of trying to identify what are the skills that they really need to be successful as they leave here and go and, and embark on adulthood, that we really felt like they, they needed just some of this knowledge and information about essentially how to be happy, how to, how to kind of build their life around what are those intentional activities that they could do to increase their overall happiness. It's a great book. It is. Okay, so Amy, share with us, how can we observe the National Cheer Up the Lonely Day? Well, a lot of it, Jennifer, is some of the examples that both Alex and I have already given to you, but you can go on to the the website if you just even Google Cheer Up the Lonely National Day. Again, Jennifer shared that it was on July 11th, and they've got a whole list of different things too, and you've seen stories on, on the news of what people have done. You gave examples of what Abby has done, which is just fantastic. But again, I think a lot of it is just being creative. Um, and now, too, that we are opening up a little bit more, I think there are opportunities that we can, you know, stay six feet apart with if it's not within family that you've been quarantining with, but where we're able to get outside with it being summer, too, and, and going on walks and absorbing nature. And, you know, it might be, you know, getting together and baking with someone instead of by yourself this time you know, reading books out loud to a friend who might not be able to read for themselves, setting up playlists for people with inspirational music. I mean, there's just so many things that that we can do. And again, these are just a few examples. And Alex and I, during the Summer Sizzling series, during this week of Cheer Up the Lonely Day, we're going to highlight a lot more ideas and, and ways in which um, people can do that. And and I don't know if we want to share a little bit about some of our own challenge within um, Family Consumer Sciences. Certainly. As we wrap up today, just to share with our listeners, as Amy mentioned, that we've kind of built a theme week around National Cheer Up the Lonely Day, and we are calling it Operation Kentucky Sunshine, with really this idea of spreading sunshine and cheer throughout the state. And so we've identified a different theme for each day and for people to kind of participate and rally around. So we have Mow It Monday, which um, we're suggesting provide free lawn and garden care to someone who may be unable to do it themselves. We have Take and Bake Tuesday, which is provide a meal or bake good for a neighbor, a family member, or a friend. Word Up Wednesday, uh, which is write a note, send a card, or post an encouraging message to someone who is in a care facility or maybe is confined to their home. 
Transform Thursday, which is share a unique way that you have transformed something. It could be something like a sidewalk chalk mural uh, down your street. You could share a box of sidewalk chalk with everyone on the street and encourage them to share an uplifting drawing or message. You could plant flowers around an unsuspecting neighbor's mailbox, give an entrance sign to your neighborhood, give it a facelift, or maybe even attach helium balloons to the mailboxes going up and down your street. All different options out there for you. Feel Good Friday. And with that, we're asking folks to share how Operation Kentucky Sunshine has made them smile or brought a smile to someone's face throughout the week. And then I think this is... This is an important one as well that sometimes folks don't take the, the opportunity to do, but we have Self-Care Saturday, which is do something for you today. And I think it's so important that as we talk to remember, we need to take care of ourselves as well. We do really want to try and remain positive and encourage folks to you know, celebrate the National Cheer Up the Lonely Day and engage at Operation Kentucky Sunshine to maybe remove a little bit of loneliness from the world over the course of this week and spread recognition and pave a way for a more socially connected future. So Amy and Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm definitely looking forward to your Sizzlin' Summer Series webinar. I'm very impressed with how many times y'all said that during the podcast and never slipped up. It's really hard <laughs> to say say together, but thank you all for being with us today. Thank you so we're much. We're excited too, Jennifer. And I just want to say too that those dates that you highlighted is the week of July 6th. So, yes. Um, thank you, Amy. I should have mentioned that too, the week of July 6th. Wonderful. Thank you all. Operation Kentucky Sunshine. Thank you for listening to Talking Facts. We deliver programs focusing on nutrition and health, resource management, family development, and civic engagement. If you enjoyed today's podcast, have a question or a show topic idea, leave a like and comment on Facebook at UKFCSEXT. Visit us online at fcs.uky.edu to learn more about the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program or contact your local extension agent for family and consumer sciences. We build strong families. It starts with us.